It's amazing to me, uh, the reality of history, that Jesus turned the world upside down with a handful of fishermen, a tax collector, and a terrorist. Yes, he had a terrorist on his team. If you know uh, Simon the Zealot, a zealot back then was a political, uh, basically someone who used violence and extraordinary violent measures to accomplish political ends, uh, something akin to what we call a terrorist today or a political zealot. Uh, that was the group of men that Jesus used to flip the world on its end. Isn't that interesting? What a motley crew they were. No real training in terms of the major seminaries of the day, the major schools of the day. They didn't train under the major rabbis of the day. Well, Jesus, obviously, they trained under. But the people who were considered the important rabbis of the day, they didn't train underneath. And yet, Jesus was able to change the world with them. And I asked the question, what was it about these men that Jesus was able to birth a movement that you and I are sitting in 2,000 years later and that has been propagated throughout the world ever since. Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit is the centerpiece of that. The answer to that question ultimately resides in the Holy Spirit. And we have had many sermons on the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is and, and how we live into the fullness of the Holy Spirit and what he's up to. But Jesus also had a reproducing model of making disciples, that he turned this group of fishermen and a tax collector and a political religious zealot, and he made them into disciple-making disciples. He reproduced his love of God into them. He reproduced his ministry into them. He reproduced the way he spoke to people and the ways he lived out his faith into them. And in all their different ways, very different men, very different styles, very different ways of speaking, but in all their different ways, they all caught what Jesus had. And then they lived it out after him. He reproduced himself into these men. They weren't qualified for the job before Jesus got in touch with them. And then Jesus invested in them, and suddenly they're acting like him and making disciples like he would. Now, every Christian is equipped by God to be both a disciple and a disciple maker. I'm gonna say that again. Every Christian is equipped by God to be a disciple and a disciple maker. What's a disciple? A disciple is someone who's personally following Jesus with all of their life. It's not just kind of following with a little bit of their life. It's following with all of their life. Every bit of their life is coming underneath who Christ is, what he is calling them to, and they're delighting in obedience today. And many people today call themselves Christians but have never, never become a disciple of Jesus. They've taken the title of Christian without becoming a disciple and I'm not sure if that's possible. In fact, I think the scriptures make a pretty heavy case that it's not possible. And so I wanna ask you today before we even begin, is that you? Are you a Christian but not a disciple who's brought all of their life underneath the, the lordship of Jesus? But then every Christian is not only a disciple but is a disciple maker. You've been equipped by God and, and given the gift of the Holy Spirit to continue the ministry that Jesus began. Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. That wasn't just to the 12 apostles. That was to you, to everyone who would follow after him. And so I ask you this as well. Are you a disciple maker? And now, again, I'm going to push on this to begin. There are many people who call themselves Christians who have taken the title of Christian. That's someone who is a Christ one 
but who show very little motivation or energy towards anything resembling making disciples. And again, I don't, I don't think the scriptures have that category of person in mind. Are you interested in making disciples? Are you motivated by the love of Christ to make disciples? Today, it's the second week of a new year. Is that right? Is it the second, 14th? Yes, yeah, second week of a new year. And I want to discuss the idea of discipleship. That's the topic. That's the theme today. And I've chosen Acts chapter 18, verses 24 to 28 as our primary text. So let me give you a little bit of background on this text. Acts is written by Luke. The book of Acts is written by the gospel writer Luke. Now, we're studying as a church the entire gospel of Luke. We're going to pick that back up in three weeks, right where we left off before the Christmas break. And the same guy who wrote the gospel of Luke, Luke wrote, the gospel, or wrote the book of Acts, and it tells the story of the early church as the, the, the church was just expanding throughout the Middle East and then in these concentric circles further and further outwards to the nations. And early on in Acts chapter 18, the Apostle Paul meets a couple, Priscilla and Aquila. He meets this husband and wife duo right in the beginning of Acts chapter 18. It says this, 18 verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens. <clears throat> he went to Corinth. He found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome and he went to see them. Because he was of the same trade as them, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. So early on in Acts chapter 18, Paul meets Priscilla and Aquila. He realizes he has something in common and then he invests in them. He, he reproduces his ministry into them and we're gonna see what they do in this passage today. So let me read to you from verses 24 to 28 of Acts chapter 18. <clears throat> Verse 24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside, explained to him the way of God more accurately, and when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Now, in its most basic form, these few verses show us a, a glimpse of healthy disciple-making. Priscilla and Aquila come across this young man. Now, Apollos, when we first meet Apollos, this guy is a pretty talented guy. He's a great orator. He's a very strong speaker. He's quite charismatic, and he's having a powerful ministry preaching in the synagogues. But when Priscilla and Aquila hear him, they notice that his gospel is deficient. He knows quite a lot. In fact, the text goes out of its way to say he's preaching accurately. That's the word that's being used. So he's saying a lot of true things. He's getting a lot right, but he's getting something wrong. Part of his gospel, part of his message is, is inconsistent. It's lacking. And Priscilla and Aquila know right what it is. So they come and they pull him aside. They lovingly pull him aside. And more than likely, they took him to their home. And over a bit of time, they explained to him the word of God more accurately. They filled in the pieces he was lacking because he didn't have it. And then what happens after that? Apollos goes out. And what does Apollos immediately want to do? This is interesting to me. He wants to start behaving like the Apostle Paul. Check this out. 
Verse, where am I? Verse 27. And then immediately after they explained to him, he wished to cross to Achaia. And the brothers encouraged him. And then he went and had a powerful ministry there. That sounds like the Apostle Paul, who was constantly going from one city to the next. Notice what's happening here. The Apostle Paul invested in Apollos, and the Apostle Paul invested in Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila invest in Apollos, and now Apollos is looking a lot like the Apostle Paul, doing a very similar ministry and doing it effectively. Now, I want to try to draw out for us four principles of discipleship that I think need to shape the life of our church this year. And I want to keep coming back to these principles this year as we get after disciple making here in this church. And here's the first principle. We can only reproduce in others what we ourselves have. We can only reproduce in others what we ourselves have. Now, where am I getting that from the text? When we first meet Apollos, he's already a believer. Now, there's a little bit of debate on this. There's some people that think that because he only knew the baptism of John, that he actually wasn't a believer. I don't think that's what the text is communicating. The majority of scholars agree. It seems that he was already a believer in Jesus because it says he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. It seems he has an understanding of the death and resurrection of Christ for the forgiveness of sins, but he's missing something. He's not complete. Now, the principle is this. We can only reproduce in others what we ourselves have. If you look at the description of Apollos, it says in verse 25, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Now, that word instructed is our English term catechized. Someone had come alongside and invested in him, tried to explain the gospel to him, and tried to prepare him for a life of ministry. But did they get it fully right? No. Whoever invested in him and whoever catechized him, instructed him in the way of the Lord, they were missing something. Otherwise, they would have instructed him properly. And so now Apollos is going out and he has got a deficient ministry because whoever invested in him and catechized him had a deficient ministry. Now, likewise, when when Priscilla and Aquila come into his life, they have a more full ministry. So now they start to invest in him. And what are they reproducing? They're reproducing their full knowledge of God and their love of ministry and how they would do ministry into Apollos. And now he's doing that. We can only, only reproduce in others what we already have. Whoever catechized you, whoever instructed you, was giving you what they had. Whoever shaped you, informed you, they were giving you what they had. And whoever you are discipling, you are only able to give them what you yourself have. Now, I want to pause and kind of put the pressure on us for a moment here in a really good, healthy way. If we're Christians, we ought to have a love of making disciples and forming the gospel in people. It needs to just flow out of us. This is what we are. This is who we are. We love Christ. We love God with such an overwhelming adoration and praise. We can't help but want to make disciples. It's going to look differently for every person. You're not going to look just like me. I'm not going to look just like you. We're going to have different personalities and way we do this. But here's what's going to be consistent for a Christian. We love God. And we love making strong disciples of Jesus. It's going to be the same for every Christian. Now, if your love as a Christian is to make disciples... It behooves us to make sure that we're not making the same mistake as whoever catechized Apollos and sharing a deficient gospel. 
not just a deficient gospel in the knowledge of the word, making sure that we're giving the right information, but a, a, a full picture of a life of what it means to follow Jesus consistently. This is one of the main principles I teach in our parenting class. We get after equipping and discipling parents in this church to disciple their kids. Kids are, parents have the responsibility to disciple children. And one of the key principles I teach, I call it the hypocrite principle. And it applies to parents, but it applies to every Christian. In parenting, your kids will sniff out hypocritical faith in you very quickly. If you're trying to parent your kids and you're saying, hey, look, you gotta have a love of God. You've got, we need to go to church. It's really important that you, it's really, you should have a devotion life where you're reading the Bible and you're trying to teach them how to do it. But they're seeing day in, day out, mom and dad, you read the Bible sometimes. It's not really that important to you. It's not really a central part of who you are and how you navigate life. They're watching you make decisions by the fireside at night and they're seeing, I didn't see any scripture in that. They pick, they sniff out hypocrisy in parents real fast. Right? And so here's a quick word to the parents in the room of which we're coming alongside you and helping disciple your children on Sundays, but you are the disciple makers. You can only give your kids what you have. And by God's grace, he will correct a lot of our failures. God is so kind to us, isn't he? He corrects our failures and our, our misgivings. But we're gonna be setting the pace for our kids. And however fast we run is the treadmill they're gonna be jumping on as they head into this world. You can only give them what you have. And so my encouragement to you is chase so hard after Jesus. It's one thing to instruct them. It's another to run fast and let them come into your way because you're going after Jesus. That's the image of parenting. Now, many of us have, would say, we've never fully been discipled, right? So, so you say, well, I've never been catechized. I've never been discipled fully. And what I want to tell you is that might be the case. Maybe someone's never formally come alongside you and, and shaped you and kind of walked through Scripture together with you. We can make that happen, and I'm going to talk about that in this message today. But the reality is, is that every single person has been, every Christian has been passively catechized. And this is the problem I think we have. Everyone has been passively catechized. You might not have ever walked through and, and learned exactly how to fit the Scriptures together and, how, you know, what is all the different th things we need to know about God but you've picked a lot up over the years, passively. And the main way you've picked it up, my guess, is through cultural Christianity, of what the general ethos of America's Christianity says Christians are supposed to be and do. And what is that? You've been passively catechized to say, here's what Christians do. This is what it means to be a Christian. You check the box of Christian when the annual survey comes by. You go to church one out of two weeks, if I'm being honest, and you say a quick grace before meals, and maybe you serve at your church. And the bar is set so low of what it means to be a Christian that that's not even a Christian. That, that, is not, you, that is not what Jesus talked about. But because we've been passively instructed just by picking up the cues from culture around us, that's who we are. And so now what's developed is what's called what I call a two-tier Christianity. You've got who are the disciple makers? Now, I'm not picking on our church. We have a lot of disciple makers in our church. Many of you are disciple makers in this church, and I want to celebrate you. But in general, if you were to kind of pick on American Christianity, who are the disciple makers? It's the professional Christians. It's the, it's the pastors, 
And it's the other people that work in ministries like Campus Crusade and Athletes in Action and Navigators and these amazing ministries. And that's tier one of disciple making. And everyone else is tier two. And tier two, are you expected to be passionate about disciple making? No, because you've hired tier one to do the disciple making. Tier, you, you, what you need to do is pay tier one. Now, I'm not picking on you. This church, does this, this church actually breaks the mold. But this is what's become normal, this two-tier. And I'm telling you, if you're settling for tier two, you should have a lot of concerns about the health of your faith because that is not what Jesus described and it's not the commissioning that he gave. He saved you from death, filled you with the spirit to lead you in truth and obedience and righteousness and to make disciples. And he is putting opportunities around you every day of your life to speak into other people's life. Now let me go back to the principle here. We can only reproduce in others what we already have. If you've never been instructed in the scripture so that you can have a robust understanding, I want you to know, this is what I labor for, to make sure that you are instructed. We've put together a handful of classes over the last few years. We ran an entire academy of classes that teach you on the scriptures. I meet with many of you one-on-one, but all of this is available online. I've put it all on there so you can go through it with each other. One class we teach is called Systematic Theology. This will come up behind me. Systematic Theology. There's 20 lectures online that walk through all, just like Apollos was catechized, walk through it all, walk through what you need to know, how to put it together. And there's all the videos, and it goes with a book, and it matches it up, how you can have good discussions with this. Another class we teach is called Spiritual Formation. All the videos are online. This is how do you walk daily with Jesus? What are the disciplines you need to know and how do you do it effectively? Church, I'm gonna be honest. There is no excuse in this church for not being well-informed on what a healthy follower of Jesus' life looks like. There's no excuse. You're not gonna get to heaven and be like, you know, I didn't have the resources. Because you do. There's no two-tier Christianity. If you wanna make disciples, you better make sure that you're running hard after Jesus and giving something other people something to follow after. Now, principle number two is this. There are two kinds of discipleship. There's two kinds of discipleship, and this is very important. The first kind is discipleship towards conversion, and the second kind of discipleship is discipleship towards maturity. And these two things, wise Christians need to be able to distinguish when you're investing in somebody, what am I doing here? Am I discipling them towards becoming a believer for the first time? Or am I discipling a believer towards stepping into deeper, more mature spaces of faith? Those are two different things that require two different things. Now go to Apollos' story with me. Somebody led that man to faith. He was a Jew from Alexandria. Alexandria in Egypt was the, pretty much the world-leading place of scholarship in the world at the time. The library at Alexandria and all the scholars, the the great Greek translation of the Bible, the Pentateuch, was translated by scribes in Alexandria. This was a place of incredible intelligence. This was a very smart guy, a Jew, familiar with all the philosophies of his day, and in just probably less than a year or two after Christ's resurrection, he's now put his faith in Jesus. Someone got a hold of that guy. Someone got a hold of him and then immediately began to instruct him. I'm gonna lead you towards Jesus and lay a foundation for you. And that foundation was off a little bit. It was pretty good, but it was off. Well, by the time Priscilla and Aquila come along, they're dealing with a guy who's pretty, he's got a lot in place already, but now he needs discipleship towards greater maturity. 
You see the difference here? Now, let's talk about both of these. Discipleship towards conversion. What are the things, if you're gonna walk alongside somebody to disciple them to believe in Jesus, what are the things you gotta keep in mind? What's peculiar to that task? By the way, this sermon, this is a highly equipping sermon today. This is me pastoring you to equip you for this next year of disciple making, okay? You're gonna come alongside someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. You wanna bring them towards Christ. What do you have to keep in mind? Well, number one, the number one thing people get wrong when they try to do this is we try to build, we try to build this structure of following Christ without ever laying the foundation. And what I mean by that is we try to help people who aren't followers of Jesus begin to live a moral life, to look like Jesus, to make corrections in their life without ever actually realizing their sinfulness and their need of salvation and truly believing that's the foundation. If we try to build a moral life of following Jesus on top of a foundation where they haven't believed in Christ and his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins yet, that house is going to fall over very quickly. We need to lay a foundation. What is the foundation that we come alongside over at every turn, every time, over and over and over again? It's got two main things, and you get it this church every week over and over. We need to just drive the sinfulness of man into people's lives. They need to see their, the weight of their own sin and that all the problems in the world and all the problems in their own life, it comes to them because of sinfulness in the world and sinfulness in their own heart and that they are underneath the judgment of God. Now here's the thing. We have so gotten away from that language because of the fear of offending people that we are no longer preaching the gospel. And what we're doing, because we're afraid to say, you are in sin and destined for hell unless you believe in Jesus who gave his life for you on the cross, because we don't want to say it, because it sounds so offensive to our modern sensitive ears, we skip that and we say, if you come to church with us, you'll be a Christian. And then we wonder why we have such weak churches that are making no impact in their cities. We've got to nail the truth. The truth is we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And that there is no other name under heaven and earth whereby we can call on to be saved but Jesus Christ. So there's two things we have to hit. We have to nail our death in Christ. We have to bring people to the end of themselves where they're crying out for salvation from somebody. And then we have to show them the beauty and the glory of Jesus, who he was, the divine son of God who took our place underneath the wrath of God for the forgiveness of sins and gave us his Holy Spirit for a full life of honoring God. If we settle for some version that does not include that of Christianity, we are not discipling them. That's not discipleship. So, we have to tell the true gospel. Secondly, the second mistake we oftentimes make when we're discipling non-believers is we settle for conversion. We settle for someone to say a, a quick prayer instead of making them disciples. Do you know how many folks in modern churches that I've, I, I've, just, I've walked this with so many people, someone who said a prayer, a very emotional moment in their life, said a prayer of salvation. Jesus, I believe in you right now. I'm overwhelmed with it. Years later, they're barely walking with Jesus. Why? Because someone told them, all you gotta do is pray a prayer. Then you're good. That's not what you have to do. You have to, you have to die to yourself 
and pick up your cross, follow Jesus to death and be a disciple who follows him through everything, no matter what he calls you to do and being willing to go to the ends of the world if that's what he tells you to do. We're not discipling towards saying a prayer. We're discipling towards making fully formed disciples of Jesus who will give their life to follow him. Two different things. How are you discipling people? Now, some of you might be in here right now feeling some conviction going, I'm just not discipling anybody. And I want you to hear from me today. By God's grace, he can bring correction into your life. Right now, today, 2024 can be a year where you begin to pick up that great commission that Jesus gave you that I say every Sunday from this pulpit before we end service. You can pick that up, and God delights to give you opportunities to pick that up. But what kind of disciples are you making? Now, secondly, discipleship towards maturity. There's discipleship towards conversion. Then there's discipleship towards maturity. This happens in four main ways. Four main ways. People times often ask me, what do we do for discipleship in this church? And what they're expecting is one, they want an answer that's in one lane. And I want to make sure you understand what discipleship looks like in this church. Number one, the first way discipleship towards maturity happens is in a a situation like this. One to many. Me preaching. Now you say, that's not discipleship. Actually, you're wrong. That is discipleship. Every week, me as your pastor, I get to come up here and form the gospel in you. I get to walk through truth and talk about cultural issues, and I get to form you and shape you so you know the scriptures. If this was all we did, right? So if you want to come up to me and you say, what do we do for men's ministry? First thing I'd say, we preach the gospel to our men every week. This is what we do, and we're discipling our people. And if that's all we had, we're getting after discipleship. Now, I want you to know, in the one-to-many form of discipleship, I, not just I, but we put a lot of resources out here for you, and I'm not sure you guys realize that it's all towards discipleship. Our parenting class that we do, we have labored over that to instruct our parents to to raise godly children, to use all the tools of scripture to do it well. We're not just doing this because you had a kid. We're doing this because we love you and want to form you. The podcast that I put out weekly, I know it's not just a podcast. I want to help walk you through cultural issues of our day so you can, you can, you're equipped with the Bible. The one to many is the first lane. And I want to encourage you, we're putting a lot of resources out for you. Use them. The second format is the small group format. Now, this is a little bit more intimate. We have small groups that meet through the week, and this is a bit different. It's not a, a teaching avenue, per se, but we have groups of 12 to 15 where you can begin to wrestle through, and here's some other voices wrestling through material as well. That's an important part of discipleship. At this church, we do those two things, and we prioritize those two ways very well. So what do we do for discipleship? Those two ways are happening all the time. Discipleship towards maturity, and many of you are involved in that. Now, there's two more ways. One of them is called peer-to-peer. This is what I think is probably the most important component that is missing today in most modern Christians' lives, peer-to-peer discipleship. What this looks like is when a group of two to three folks are in each other's lives in a very personal way. And this does not mean that one of the people in the group is more mature, is not the teacher per se, but they're just peers, This changes the dynamic from a teaching dynamic and a receiving dynamic to a relational dynamic. Discipleship really starts to take off in these spaces. You get two to three people who know and love each other, 
who maybe are even in similar seasons of life, going through similar things together, and they, they just wanna be in each other's life, and, and they, you, they get that intimate space of they can ask forgiveness, they can confess real sin, maybe even more personally than you would in a small group, and then you're gonna push on each other and walk through life together, pushing into the scriptures, that space is vital. That space is vital. And many don't have it because they haven't sought it out. And the fourth space is the, the mentor-mentee space. I think everybody, every Christian needs a wise sage in their life. Now, if you've gone through something like Campus Crusade in college, the mentor-mentee uh, model is very common there. You meet with your mentor every week. When you graduate college, that's not how it works. You, you, you're, not, you're typically not gonna be having a mentor weekly check-in every single week. But what you should have is that one older Christian in your life who you know from time to time you can call and work through something difficult with them. They're, they're in your life. They're your mentor. You can call them. You can email them. You can ask a question. You know they're going to get back to you. And they, you know they love you and they're going to pray for you. Every Christian needs a mentor in their life. Now, if you are not in a peer-to-peer relationship, go ahead, take this out. That you, that you, it was on your seat when you came in today. We're launching in this church this today um, an opportunity to actually build some of these relationships. Our men... We're gonna encourage you to get into peer-to-peer relationships with other men. If you use the QR code, you can do this. You're gonna go through the book, Disciplines of a Godly Man. It's an amazing book. I've counseled many men with it before. Women, we're gonna encourage you to get in peer-to-peer relationships with other women. And uh, you're gonna go through the book, Disciplines of a Godly Woman. And these relationships, they're, they're supposed to last about six to 10 weeks. We'll match you up with another man or another woman, men with men, women with women. And uh, we'll match you up when you sign up and you'll get a copy of the book and you'll meet with the person we match you up with and you're gonna sit for six to 10 weeks, go through the material and push into each other's lives. This is gonna be a short season of peer-to-peer disciple making. And I wanna encourage you, if, this is, if you need a new step to push you into new places of your faith, sign up today. Again, the tool is literally in your hands right now, <laughs> okay? So you can do this. I hope that you sign up before you leave the room. Now, what's the third principle? Strong disciples share very particular characteristics. Strong disciples share very particular characteristics. Now, when we first meet Apollos, this guy is very talented. A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. I mean, this is a guy who's been trained very highly, and he's going and he's debating in synagogues. Not everyone's going to be able to do that kind of role, right? But there are some underlying characteristics of Apollos that should be true of every single follower of Jesus in terms of how they're a disciple maker. Number one, let me give you five of them. We'll do these quickly. Apollos had a passion for the scriptures. If you want to be an effective disciple maker and an effective disciple, you have to allow the Holy Spirit to well up in you a passion for the scriptures. Look what it says. He was competent in the scriptures and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he was fervent in spirit. He spoke accurately concerning the the ways of God. He knew the scriptures. Christian, this cannot just be a book that collects dust on the shelf. If you are not working to engage the scriptures in your life personally and asking God to form better knowledge in you of the scriptures, Being a disciple is gonna be pretty tough to grow. Now, you might not have that passion right now. Maybe you're in here, you're like, I just don't love it right now. Where do you begin? Here's where you begin. You get your Bible out and you start to read a little bit every day. You just start to read a little every day and you ask God to give you a passion until he does and he will. He delights to give you a passion. 
Do you read your Bible daily and do you treasure what you discover? Let me give you a little tidbit. Anytime you're gonna open the Bible and, and read, many of you have a rhythm where you read the Bible, first pray this prayer. God, open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your law. That's out of Psalm 119. Just take a moment. Before you read, do this. God, I'm gonna read the Bible right now. Would you open my eyes that I would behold wondrous things out of your law? Then read and watch how it changes. Prepare to engage with God through his word. You gotta have a passion for the scriptures. Number two, Apollos was fervent in spirit. I don't think that means he, he had a, a very special empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I think it's talking about his own spirit. He had a zealous spirit. He had a way about him, and, and I'm not alone in thinking that. Majority of scholarship thinks that as well. He had a passion for Jesus. Now again, you're not gonna look like me and I'm not gonna look like you. We're all different in, in what that passion looks like. But a disciple of Jesus who's been changed by Christ, who's had his sin forgiven on the cross, who's been given the Holy Spirit, who's been given an inheritance that will last forever, who's been assured heaven is their future, that person, they're gonna be pretty excited about Jesus. There's gonna be something about them that just loves Jesus. They're gonna wanna talk about him. They're gonna bring him up. They're gonna love his church. They're gonna love being with other Christians. And you know what they're gonna love doing? They're gonna love singing praise to God. They're gonna love it, even when they don't sound great. Now look, I know we're growing. Everyone is in some degree growing in these things. But look, if, if you don't have some kind of fervency for Christ, I'm not sure you heard the gospel. If, 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 if you don't have some kind of like, yes, this is the best thing I got going in my life. You didn't, you didn't hear it. That doesn't mean there's not seasons that are difficult and where your zeal, it, it, it gets pushed down a bit because it, it doesn't mean you don't have seasons of up and down, but man, if there's no fervency of spirit, you're, you're in a little trouble. You gotta pray God build that up in you. What do others know that you're most excited about? That's a good question to ask yourself. What does your social media feed reveal about what you're most excited about? Does coming to church on a Sunday to gather with the saints and sit under the preaching of God's word excite your soul? Do, do you get jazzed about it? That's, the, that's, that's what we should be seeing coming out of our life. Number three, a discerning heart. He had a discerning heart. Notice it uses the word accurately twice in this passage, once to talk about the way Apollos is teaching, and then another when it talks about the way Apollos or uh, Priscilla and Aquila instructed Apollos. They, they did it more accurately. A discerning heart is someone who really wants to test the messages they're hearing, including from me, Right? So who's the authority in your life? It's the word of God. So when you hear a sermon, you should be going back afterwards because you have a discerning heart like Apollos and you should be going and looking at the scriptures. Is what Pastor Rafe said right? Is that right? Did he get something wrong? I can get things wrong. I never have. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Off script. I can get things wrong, but, but you have the power of the spirit to look into the word of God and discern you hear a message from out on a YouTube video or you hear a message about what you're supposed to think is good and right coming to you from culture. You gotta go to the word of God. Does that, does that look like this? Because 99% of the things that any random college in Chicago is telling you has nothing to do with what's in the Bible. In fact, it's the exact opposite from it. And so you have to have a discerning spirit and you have to have the ability 
to say, that is wrong, and I know it's wrong because the Bible tells me so, and I'm gonna stand unwaveringly on the Bible. You have to have a discerning spirit. So let me ask you, do you have a discerning spirit? Do you grieve when you hear something that is false in the name of Jesus? Do you laugh at it or do you grieve at it? You gotta have a discerning spirit. Again, these are marks of a healthy disciple. We can grow in these. You might have this in a degree. You gotta pray that you grow in it. Fourth and fifth, let me go quickly here. Fourth, you have to have a humble posture. You have to have a humble posture. Apollos was willing to be discipled. Here's a guy who's going into synagogues and he's teaching. This is a powerful guy. But when he gets pulled aside and instructed by Priscilla and Aquila, what does he do? Does he, is he like, I, who are you guys? Husband and wife tent makers? What are you gonna teach me? No, he listens. He's always got something to learn. He's got something to learn from the least of these. We gotta have a humble posture. Everyone's got something to teach us. They might not be right when they teach us. We gotta discern from the spirit, but God might use anybody to teach us. And number five, there's gotta be a sense of urgency about our faith. A sense of urgency. Look at him. By the time Priscilla and Aquila done, what does he wanna do? He wants to cross over the river to go proclaim the gospel to more people. There's urgency about him. Jesus is returning very soon. Very. The days are growing short. And he's got you in people's lives that don't know him, that will suffer eternally apart from him. And you're in their life. Do you have a sense of urgency about it with you? Again, you might have this in degree, but you gotta ask God to, to foster the flames of that in your heart. If you have a stronger sense of urgency about your bank account than you do about making disciples, oh, you got it wrong. You got it wrong. If you've got a stronger sense of urgency about your comfort and safety than you do about making disciples, you got it wrong, you are not close. And if you've got a, sense, a stronger sense of urgency about being an armchair theologian and a cultural critic than you do about making disciples, you got it wrong. We need to have an urgency about making disciples. Lastly, last point, I'm going a little long, but we need, we need this last point. Final principle, we need to aim, how do we make disciples? We need to aim for generational discipleship generational discipleship. What do we see here? We see generations of discipleship. The apostle Paul, we know, was discipled by Barnabas. Barnabas pulled him aside. He was a, Paul was originally a persecutor of the church. After he became a believer, Barnabas pulled him aside and he was really instructed in the way of the Lord. And then Paul discipled Apollos and Aquila, or I'm sorry, Paul discipled Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila discipled Apollos. Apollos is now going out and discipling other people. Chains. It's a whole chain, and he's just one link, and he's aiming to make generations who are coming out of him. Who is his spiritual grandfather? The Apostle Paul. Isn't that amazing? It's his spiritual grandfather. Every Christian who's been a Christian for any number of time should be able to look out at their spiritual grandkids and great-grandkids that are in the room. That should just be part of the life of a follower of Jesus. Let me show you mine. When I was in college, I was discipled by two men. On the left, there's young Rafe, okay? And the guy on the left is Alex Costa. Now, here's the thing about discipleship, and I'm gonna teach you this. Keep this slide up for a second. Alex, I've got a lot of Alex in me. This is what happens in discipleship. You leave a part of you in the next person. Alex discipled me. This guy was intense. 
Alex, if you watch this, I know you know I'm not lying about you, okay? I love you. You're an intense guy. You know why I'm intense? I picked it up from him. He used to disciple guys, and when they were caught in sin, he'd make them run laps. <laughs> he'd show up at five in the morning, and when he knew you'd been out till three in the morning, he'd be like, we're going on a prayer walk, let's go. He was intense. It was amazing. Do you know how much as a young man who was reckless and was hanging on by a thread with my faith, I needed that guy in my life? Do you know how much I needed him? I would not be here today without Alex. That's what I needed and God had it in my life. And guess what? His intensity, I, he is living in Ohio now, but there's a part of Alex that's in this room with you right now. That's discipleship. They pick up what you have. Who's the next guy? Brandon York, that guy, the tall guy on the left, Brandon York. He's on staff with Campus Crusade still in Bloomington, Indiana. He had a passion for the scriptures that is unlike anything even to this day I've seen. He used, I can still picture him. He's got the same Bible. We used to sit. We'd sit in a room talking about stuff. I'd be talking about a, a girl problem I'd have in college, and he'd open the Bible, and he'd be like, Rafe, Rafe, Rafe. Ezekiel chapter 11. And then he'd go, and I'd say, Ezekiel 11? How are you pulling that out? You know how he was? He knew that Bible backwards and forwards. He loved the Bible. Do you know why I love the Bible today? Because God put that man in my life. And I picked it up from him. His impact is in this room right now with you. The guy on the far corner that my arm is around is Dave Schweer. In order for me to be discipled by Brandon, I had to commit to discipling someone else. Why? Because Brandon wasn't just looking to make a convert. He was looking to make disciples that made disciples. So I started discipling Dave Schweer. We were in the same fraternity together. Generations. Brandon discipled me. I discipled Dave. Right there. And then if Adam was actually on that trip, and Adam's not, in, maybe Adam took the picture, but Adam is who Dave was discipling because I made Dave disciple someone when I started discipling him. We need to aim for generational discipleship. You are going to invest in people who you are going to expect they're going to invest in other people. Why? Because that's just what it means to follow Jesus. That is, that is the most basic form of following Jesus. We love God and we make disciples. This is discipleship by multiplication. Now, I'm gonna, again, I'm gonna pick on us a little bit here. Why do we not do this? It's because most of us have been discipled passively and we've picked up the cues that we've just seen in church around us of this two-tiered Christianity, which is not Christianity. It's not. The reason the early church flourished and grew and just prospered was because everyone was making disciples who were making disciples. It was just the expectation. How cool would it be if today, when you grabbed a churro over on that corner of the room in about 20 minutes... You pulled someone aside and said, hey, you want to learn how to do this together? There's this book we could, we could go through this together. I think I got something I got to learn. Maybe I'm not getting this right yet. How cool would that be? That would be the spirit of God applying the text of God into our life directly. Now let me close by saying this, a bit of a sober warning, but also an encouragement. 
I believe the modern church would do well to tremble at our barrenness on this issue. We have settled for a Christianity that is so cheap and easy and entertaining and is stripped of the deeper things of God. But all the tools we need are available at our fingertips. And Christ has given us the Holy Spirit and he delights in correcting his church when they've gone astray. He loves it. Can I encourage you today? You have been called to be a disciple and a disciple maker. Let's be busy with the Lord's business. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you and we worship you today. And I pray that you would take the message of God from the text of God and apply it into our hearts in such a way that we are changed by it. God, help us to be practical Christians, Christians that don't just live out our faith invisibly for no one to see, but live it out for the world to see very clearly. This is just who we are. We follow Jesus, we beat to a different drum, take it or leave it, that's what we do. God, I pray for that kind of power in this place today. God, I pray for anyone in this room who's not yet a follower of Jesus or maybe are realizing they never actually got the message the right way and that following Jesus first and foremost is believing in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. God, I pray that you form that in them today. And God, I pray that you would make a true disciple, not just converts, God. Lord, we love you. Fill us now. Help us to lead ourselves, or lead, not lead ourselves, but be led in worship by the Spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.